The summer of 2023 is looking to be red hot, and we're not just talking about the weather. We've been catching up on Summer Game Fest, a celebration of games where brands such as Xbox, Wholesome Games, and Capcom bring us the latest news, trailers, and updates involving their respective game titles. Here at the 20M Podcast, we've been able to stream quite a few of these showcases and directs, admittedly at some pretty strange hours in our part of the world. Suffice to say, it was a very sleepless week for us, but it more than made up for in hype. What are the upcoming games we're most looking forward to? and which cozy indie games caught our eye over at the Wholesome Direct. Plus, Reno and Arif nerd out over We Love Katamari Reroll plus Royal Reverie and the latest Magic the Gathering Lord of the Rings crossover. This is the 20M Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the 20M Podcast, your deep dive into games and the people behind them. I'm your host for today. My name is Reno and today I have my usual co-host Arif. Say hi, Arif. Why did you say usual when I said last episode, I said illustrious for you? Like, you can't think of a better adjective for me? Um, my fantastic co-host. No, now it's just sarcastic. We can move on. All right, all right, all right. Well, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Thanks for asking. Do you see how normal I am now? You, you like, tend to bash me for... Um, not reciprocating your intros. But, you didn't. Uh, you like... didn't ask me how I was. You just okay. Yeah, you're right. So maybe oh I am God. a bad. Yeah. Oh <laughs> how are, how are you today? <laughs> how are you? I today? was great until about five seconds ago when I wasn't asked. <laughs> uh, what do we want to talk about today, Reno? What's what's uh, what's been happening this past week? Well, my my first my first point, um, which I wanted to bring up because I'm a concerned friend, was have you cut up on your sleep? Absolutely not. It's been a it's been a week, hasn't it? It's been a, it's been a big week for games for us for everyone, honestly, who's been following this this space. I suppose what has been happening? Tell we have had a lack of sleep because of the summer game fest extravaganza, uh, where we've been reacting to a lot of uh, showcases, both AAA and indies. But boy, let me tell you, before we get to some of those topics throughout the show, where we kind of deep dive into into some of those showcases and stuff that we loved, it's been rough because the time zones have been crazy for us. We've been live streaming our reactions here on the uh, on the YouTube channel, at least for those that are watching on YouTube. But boy, let me tell you, I I've been tired. We've been pushing out so much content as well. I'm exhausted yet excited. Both, uh, those both start with E. That's how tired I am. Exhausted, Exhausted and, and excited. Exci- yes, yes. <laughs> I'm both spectrum of E's. You know? <laughs> I don't know if this is outing myself as a terrible person, but the number of tweets I've seen from like journal friends and just like industry friends of being like, I'm so tired. I'm like, me too, man. Me too. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't wish the worst for my colleagues and my peers, but like, at least we're all in this together. I'm like, I'm tired too, man. Let, let's get, let's get that 15 minute nap in before we go, before we continue on. Imagine it's like, it's not even time zone for them. It's just like, because they've been covering so much as well. It's like, and for us, it's like the one, two punch. It's like, okay, get content out, get content out, but also like sleep like 3 a.m. Some of the tweets I've seen, especially like from people out in Australia, because the time zone is even worse for them. I think it's just like, oh, um, if you're, I think it's like, oh, if you're covering Summer Game Fest right now and it's 7 a.m., you are allowed to Uber Eats McDonald's to your house for breakfast. (laughs) Like that is the rule. (laughs) I feel that so hard. I mean, it's really funny. We were talking about this off stream, but for those that don't know, I mean, like the summer time is usually historically when the games industry is in full force because a lot of games are announced. And it used to be E3, you know, rest in peace, E3. They used to be the <laughs> major events where all the trailers would come out, all the showcases would premiere and all the games would be announced and stuff for the next like year, coming years. But uh, in lieu of E3, we had Summer Game Fest, but it's still 
pretty much like I think a lot of people online are calling it non E three E three over the past couple of years, and yeah. this one especially because uh, e- there are even more showcases, even more stuff to highlight. So I know we did a lot of content about it, but yeah, I mean the general PSA to any showcase uh, organizers over the like now or the foreseeable future, please potentially think about making some showcases. Southeast Asia time zone friendly, I'm begging you, because I cannot stay up to 3 a.m. again to watch another three hour long direct. Exactly, exactly. I think the only one that was at a semi normal time zone for us that we planned to watch was the Capcom showcase, which was at 7 a.m. Japan time, 6 a.m. Malaysia time. And by that, and just for that reason alone, like I'm 100% a Capcom stand now. Like my favorite, <laughs> favorite business in the game right now. Best, best guys, best guys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I thought that I thought that one was really good. Yeah, but it's it's just really funny. I mean, I, we have. I know we're going to talk about some showcases later on in the episode, but there's definitely some moments where you could totally tell we are zoning out because purely, uh, you know, the games are awesome, and it's not a knock on the developers or the publishers at all. But it's like yeah. it's three thirty a.m. like local time. I like, I, and I'm on content. I'm like trying to look awake and stuff like that, but my mind is just like mm, bed <laughs> soon, maybe. It was great that I mean there were both of us like streaming it. And then we had a couple of folks in who were, you know, the night owls of Southeast Asia also checking in, but because it was like holding each other accountable. I think if it was just me, just myself streaming, I would just slowly be like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That would have been the stream. So yeah, good time. Good time. And just interesting though, as well. Like, I wonder what is, I guess prior, like you mentioned, it would be at E3 where everything gets announced, but like, what is the rationale of announcing so many games in one space like you know like both of us in preparation for the stream we're like oh what what did we actually watch we got to go back and like remember what were some of these titles like, there's just there's just so many so many coming out yeah i i completely agree it's a uh, really fun because you get a lot of interesting reveals and trailers and deep dives and further teases of games that are coming out in the coming months which is really exciting but also like a couple of games that are slated to release over the next couple of years so it's an interesting overwhelmingness where it's it's quite it's quite fascinating because we've been seeing a lot more directs throughout the year um, compared to like let's say ten years ago in the games industry. Uh, when I say directs, I mean showcases, right? I know Nintendo just like completely coined that term, uh, and it's like pretty popular now. But the whole like uh, we we don't have to abide by this summer overwhelmingness of uh, announcements. We can kind of announce our showcases later on the year, earlier on the year, stuff like that. But nothing. But despite that, I'm still so happy that this week is still a celebration of games. And I think we were talking about this before. Or, it's, or I tweeted this as well, where even though there was a lot, it's still a reminder that the games industry is an industry to be celebrated. And I can't be more excited about seeing you know, indie developers, even AAA developers, just finally being able to talk about their games because development cycles are long. A lot of things are you know, under NDA or they don't want to announce things too early. So it's truly a celebration despite the overwhelmingness. So uh, I'm excited because there seems to be like a game for everybody at these showcases. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that feels very unique to this industry. Like you don't get something like this for, for film or for TV shows, like, a, like a, oh, here are all the TV shows that are coming out in the next three years and, and this one's being dropped tomorrow or anything like that. So that part is definitely very cool. And I know like our respective like WhatsApp group chats have been like blowing up this past week of people just being excited for different games. So that that's all, that's all been, yeah, it feels like we're all kind of in this together. Really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, the closest thing we probably in the industry is kind of like, I mean, you do get some of the, the showcases, like, you know, when HBO Max had their like HBO slate for the next couple of years, you know, and uh, we were, you know, just watched The Flash last night and James, I, we, I showed 
the people that I was watching The Flash with, James Gunn's version of like his show, his direct, his showcase. It was just him talking to a camera, talking about the next uh, slate of the DC movies, mm-hmm. right? You get CinemaCon, I think, in uh, in Brazil every year, if I'm not mistaken. So like there are tidbits, but there's nothing like the games industry one where gamers are just totally on the same page where we like this is the xbox the showcase the xbox showcase will be announced you know what i mean like everybody will be watching it or at least you'll see them uh percolated like news articles percolated throughout so it definitely is like a almost unique like the concept isn't unique but the like excitement and the condensed version uh industry-wide is uh you're, you're nailing it it's so unique to the games industry Awesome, awesome stuff. So what have been some of the big highlights for yourself, Arif? I know we're gonna go probably like showcase by showcase. Yeah. The big things that we the big things that we noticed. So the first one I know that we streamed was a uh, Summer Game Fest itself, right? The one with Jeff Keeley. That was on was it Thursday? Thursday, Friday? I, yeah, I, that was the honestly, first of the Summer Games yeah. Fest kickoff um showcase. Yeah, the kickoff. That one was really fun. And it really kicked off. If I remember, again, our first 2 a.m. show, we're half asleep, trying to just trying to stay awake. But boom, it was like Mortal Kombat, straight up. Decapitated heads, arms <laughs> flying everywhere, blood splattering. We're like, all right, we're awake. We're here. We're here for the show. What did you think of that? Uh, I thought it was really good. I mean, I'm not a big fighting game guy. And uh, I think Mortal Kombat is an interesting one because it's one of those ones where a lot of casual gamers, my casual gamer friends, it's like FIFA or Mortal Kombat. It's like the more casual fighting game, in my opinion, that people get into. I don't know if it's because of the gore or because of the aesthetic and whatnot. Um, But Mortal Kombat 1 looks super interesting to me. I I don't... uh, I'm not a big Mortal Kombat person, so I apologize. I don't know the characters that well. I didn't grow up with it. But let me tell you, one of the most exciting things that I saw at the Mortal Kombat 1 uh, reveal... Uh, sh- showcase demo scenario uh, on Summer Games Fest was the cameo feature. And I know we talked about that during our live stream because let me tell you, Rina, I'm not a fan of fighting games, but I am a big fan growing up of Marvel versus Capcom. Do you remember mm. that? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think I think my first one was like, it was called Marvel Superheroes versus Street Fighter. That was the... Yes, we talked about this on the podcast yeah, before, so- yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, it's more so because like, I think Marvel versus Capcom 2, uh, definitely 3. I don't know. I don't remember if 1 does it, but you can choose multiple fighters. So you can swap between the two fighters. And I would remember I would be like War Machine or something. And then you could swap to the next fighter by clicking a button. So I know the Mortal Kombat 1 uh, cameo feature is not exactly you're choosing two fighters, but you get a you know secondary fighter, kind of like an assist trophy is what uh, people are kind of um, attributing it towards, kind of like Smash Bros. Uh, but just a more succinct kind of combat version of of that. So that's what gets me going for Mortal Kombat 1. It's funny, it's not the violence, it's not the story, which they <laughs> seem to be really prioritizing. It's like, oh my god, that reminds me of Marvel vs. Capcom. I'm totally going to try it. Yeah, I mean, I'm similar to you. I didn't grow up with Mortal Kombat, the IP, but for some reason it was always there. Like, I knew about it, or you would see people selling, I don't know if they were like just like straight to video kind of movies that they made, but I was definitely aware of it. But uh, I, I and I've probably never mentioned this. If I can find the, the actual game, I will show it to you. But my first experience playing Mortal Kombat was a parody. It was called like Cartoon Combat or something. It was part of a compendium <laughs> of games and it was like fighting style. But then the characters would just do weird things. Like instead of doing like proper moves, they would just like pull each other's like pants down. It was like like a kind of like a... I have high- no idea what this is and I'm scared to go through <laughs> it's the B-roll, really, it's the potential really, B-roll of what people it's really will be funny. seeing on screen. And I need to find this and show you. But like that was when I realized like, okay, it's it's a spin-off of another game called Mortal Kombat. And then I and then I think that was like my first like 
childlike memory of of this franchise. <laughs> but to your point, I feel like a lot of the fighting games are at least from what I've seen of like Street Fighter Six and the way that they're building up Tekken Eight. There's definitely a movement towards, I guess, more story based, um, like story based fighting games. So it's not just about you know the the brawl. And I I guess to an extent it, that never really changes. Like from Tekken One, Two, Three, Four, Five, like it's always pretty much the same characters or like reincarnations of the same characters or the characters brother, sister, mother, uncle. They've done they've done like everything. So now I feel like a lot of these games are trying to sort of connect it and and keep because that's what keeps people interested they're they're invested in characters and stories as opposed to just playing the same kind of moveset over and over again so really really exciting to see how it played out um kind of felt like a film that was another thing i think we talked about a lot like a lot of the trailers felt like cinematic trailers right yeah i think a lot of the i mean i i always feel like some of my you want to talk about some weird niche games like uh topics whilst we're on this topic of uh trailers i remember growing up like um I guess like being a teenager and my housemate introduced me to Blur Studios, uh, which is a studio that did contract work and did cinematic game trailers. And they were the coolest game trailers of all time. I think they, one of my favorites was the, um, one of the Arkham games. They did the Batman versus Deadpool fight scene in the snow. Uh, they also did, if I'm not mistaken, Halo, maybe I don't remember if Destiny, the Destiny trailers were by Blur, Blur Studios, but, but look them up everybody like Elder Scrolls. I, I can't remember, but like, Blur Studios had some of the coolest animations, but they were all cinematic, right? Uh, and I remember that was the prime of Blur. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of them did seem very cinematic, but I think you bring up an interesting point where we were talking offline of like, there's a lot of these trailers that felt like movie trailers rather than game trailers. And it, to me, it's like, what is the difference between a movie trailer and a game trailer at the end of the day, you know? I think especially with the AAA, like the way that I recognized, like the way that it seemed like a movie trailer was, there would be like the suspenseful music suspenseful music then like a lot of like movement and then like a deep sort of like baritone male voice like coming soon and then then like explosions and then like a, a, a clip of the character saying like we must fight you know that that kind of thing and it feels like a lot of the rings trailer especially if it's like a high fantasy game and i don't know if it's just like games imitating movies movies imitating games but that's kind of how it felt for especially yeah the triple a titles we didn't see that as much with the wholesome direct trailers for sure yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's like if you put uh, upwards of a million dollars in a property, well, upwards of $10 million in a property, they have to be like the most marketing-y kind of like thing, which is, I guess, like what theater uh, or cinemas, the cinema industry kind of like does with their trailers. But I would, regardless, if a trailer gets me excited, I'm really, I, I get excited. So um, whether it be a cinematic, whether it be gameplay, whether it be just like the storytelling of the trailer itself, um, yeah, I, I, I get super excited. Awesome. What were the other titles that got you excited at the Summer Game Fest kickoff? I mean, I think Summer Game Fest was an interesting one. The one that I will share before I get to a specific game is like, um, I I said this live on our uh, reaction, but Summer Game Fest is interesting because I think Jeff Keighley owned that it was a summer show. And what I mean by that is like, I feel like you could wear shorts and you could wear a Hawaiian (laughs) t-shirt and you can just enjoy the games that are coming out versus um, opening a light live uh, opening night live at gamescom which is kind of like a bit more professional it's like you're trying to make a statement that this is a showcase and then game awards as well which is like more oscar feeling and it is official and it is very like check out this like crazy new announcement that we secured you know so it's cool that jeff uh, is making summer game fest feel like the expectations are slightly lower in terms of some of the announce the big announcements that we get because you know they were laughing on stage even he was like hey we have nicholas cage coming out and he was just <laughs> like what i don't know how this is happening but we got him on stage right so um, 
I just want to note that that tone for Summer Games Fest. But at the end of the day, they had to have something big. And boy, did they have something big with uh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. So I was really excited to see that. Yeah, no, definitely to your point about, like they really brought the summer and the fest of Summer Game Fest, right? They really kept it casual. And that, I, I really like that. That was that was a good touch. But yeah, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, I, I know I've talked about this before. I've only played the original Final Fantasy VII, like the, the Popeye's arms for that Cloud had kind of Final Fantasy VII. But like the way that the franchise has, has like sort of spinned off so much, like I don't even recognize like what it's about anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Why don't you talk a bit more about like what got you excited? What was it about Rebirth that got you excited? Yeah, and I think one thing to note is that I didn't play Final Fantasy VII growing up. My first Final Fantasy, for those that don't know, is Final Fantasy XIII, one of the best Final Fantasies of all time, according to everybody who's played it. Uh, but I I only played Final Fantasy VII as re- in a response to prep for Seven uh, Remake. So I played it about a year before Seven Remake came out. So I'm actually quite new to the Final Fantasy VII universe. I never watched um, Advent Children. I never played Crisis Core. And we've talked about this in previous episodes. You can check out some of our coverage for some of those items. But what gets me excited about Rebirth is that it definitely seems like they are taking stuff from the original, but almost going in a different direction. Uh, and I don't want to spoil the uh, remake story or what that what I'm trying to say, like what that really means uh, for those that have yet to play those games. But I'm just really excited that it almost seems like a new frontier. But, but what gets me most excited is, um, weirdly, the nostalgia still sticks for me. Like, uh, even though I know I've never played Final Fantasy VII, I know Chocobo, like Chocobo, the Chocobo <laughs> Ranch area, right? I know... Uh, the jet, like the, when they go to Junon and some of the backgrounds that they have. So I felt a little bit of weird nostalgia being like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe they're putting that in this high fidelity 3D open, semi open world looking kind of game. Um, but again, what really gets me excited is just, it just looks so good. It just looks so, so, so good. Um, there's a scene where. It's almost as if you have like tag team kind of like battle animations where a cloud and Tifa go back to back and it was just chef's kiss. Like, oh my God, this is like everything that I want. And I think uh, you have Red 13 and Yuffie also do like a team up and you see Aerith in the background coming. So I'm just so excited for the combat. I'm so excited for the animation work. I'm so excited for how it feels. But as a Final Fantasy fan, like Rebirth looks like it's shaping up good. I know for you, there was a certain character that was missing. Reno, can you please tell me about <laughs> your <Ooh>. disappointment <laughs> with, with the trailer for Five Fantasy Seven Rebirth? Where the hell was Vincent Valentine? We are all only here for Vincent Valentine. I couldn't believe he was missing. But I mean, to your point as well, I th- as long as you're on the internet, as long as you're even on the fringe of like games, right? Everyone knows who Cloud is. So even if you've not played the games, I think you've seen him so much or you've seen these characters so much or you know the story, you know that Sephiroth is like the greatest villain of all time. So when a game like this comes out, somehow you do get nostalgia, even if it's not something specifically pertaining to your childhood. And I think that's just kind of like the magic of Final Fantasy, the franchise, but specifically, I guess, Final Fantasy VII. Really, really cool stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for... I can't describe this game in any other way except for I'm excited. You know what's an interesting discussion, though, is that it's surprising to see it at the show because one of the biggest Final Fantasy games... I mean, Final Fantasy 16 is coming out uh, literally in about a week, our time of recording. It's kind of crazy that they're setting up Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Yeah, I think uh, the industry and a lot of friends were kind of like 50-50 to see, to see if it was going to be at this show because it'd be like, oh, a lot of the marketing should be towards making sure that uh, units sell for... Final Fantasy 16, but at the same time, it's cool that they're 
ending the marketing cycle for Final Fantasy 16 almost for the most part, and then slowly starting to ramp up the marketing cycle for Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth, which we know will be coming out early 2024. Um, but the biggest question that I have is, where is Kingdom Hearts 4? We saw it a couple of years ago. I cried at the reveal trailer. We know that the Kingdom Hearts 4 development team helped on Final Fantasy uh, 16. Um, and we know Tetsuya Nomura is doing both Kingdom Hearts and uh, producing both Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. But let me just tell you, as a fan of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, I would be happy if they didn't show Final Fantasy VII Rebirth <laughs> and they showed Kingdom Hearts instead. That would have been the most like mind-blowing, like, psych, you're getting some Kingdom Hearts 4 news. That would have been such a big, like, I don't know, Uno Reverse or something. Because everyone kind of yeah. expected to hear more 7 news, but no one would have expected a Kingdom Hearts drop. But I think the, the point... One of like the point here with what Square Enix has done is like traditionally I think it's like Final Fantasy Seven, all right, that's done. We look forward to eight, that's done, look forward to nine. But seven as a franchise has become its own thing. It's such a big beast that it's like it's 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 on its own marketing timeline. And I they have and they have enough resources to be plugging several Final Fantasy games at once. And there's a market for different people as well. Like not everyone who plays sixteen might want seven, not everyone who wants seven might want sixteen, that that sort of thing. It just becomes such a big based on its own, particularly with seven. And then Kingdom Hearts is its own thing as well. I think if, if they had dropped it, I, I don't think it would have affected, you know, whether it would cannibalize like the attention from other Final Fantasies. Like, I don't think that would have been the case. It's just the games have just become their own separate identities so much that they've got their own fan base, I feel. Yeah, but, um, and I mean, I also just want to, whilst we're talking about this Final Fantasy, like, uh, uh, dive, right? Uh, before we move on, I just want to acknowledge that, like, there, uh, there's been leaks of Final Fantasy IX Remake and Final Fantasy Tactics Remake in the works at Square Enix. So many, not just the NVIDIA leaks, but there's so many uh, interviews. I think there was one interview where uh, somebody on one of the Final Fantasy teams was like, got asked about Final Fantasy Tactics and he was like, oh, you should ask the Tactics team, implying that the Tactics team is a team at Square Enix, you know what I mean? So um, my, my curiosity more so is like somebody who kind of like, uh, you know, watches all these showcases, like obsesses over Square Enix news is where is the Final the rumored Final Fantasy IX remake? And then where is Final Fantasy Tactics? Because I totally agree with you. Seven is on, it's on its own trajectory, but uh, where are these other titles that are also huge Final Fantasy properties? And I, I can't imagine how, uh, you know, whoever is like, marketing lead at square like sets up the domino pieces for all these properties right because these are all major final fantasy titles but i will say the one that i wasn't going to bring up that i just remembered is did you ever see, did you see the Final fantasy 9 memoria project oh is this the fan the fa the, the fan back one and it's sort of like the cinematic uh videos of like vivi walking through the city i've seen yeah i've seen that i've seen it looks really really beautiful yeah, I think it's a project that's been in the works for a long time. I think it's in uh, Unreal 5. Uh, so they rendered it or they created it in Unreal 5. And uh, it, it just looks amazing. Like, talk about 9 Remake. That project looks phenomenal. It's beautifully rendered. Vivi looks cute as hell. Um, but it also, they take a lot of the heart. Like, they expand on that Final Fantasy 9 world because you only see it in the original uh, you know, camera angles are different, you know, so PS1 and gameplay is so PS1. This truly feels like a modern interpretation of it. I'm shocked Square hasn't taken it down. Uh, but for Final Fantasy fans, like, check out the Final Fantasy IX Memorial Project. It looks gorgeous and everything I feel like uh, we think about when we think about modern day remakes. Yeah, I'm sure the lawyers were just about to, and then the, the dev team are so impressed. They're like, wait, 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 let them cook, let them cook. <laughs> and then one more Final Fantasy drop that happened at Summer Game Fest, Final Fantasy Ever Crisis. How was that for you? Was, were you excited? 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, look, as somebody who plays the Kingdom Hearts mobile games, like I played on Janky, you know, Dark Road is on there. I, I love these, I love mobile iterations of games, especially when they give you more story and, you know, just something to have you play on a daily basis and collect items. Um, Ever Crisis is a weird one because I still don't really know what it is. Supposedly, I believe when they first pitched it, they said they wanted you to have a mobile companion of Five Fantasy Seven, So you get to go through essentially the entirety of Five Fantasy Seven, but on mobile. But they're introducing new characters, it seems like. And then the, this trailer, they had really cool outfits for Aerith and Cloud and uh, combat looks like the remake, like, you know, 3D assets from remake and stuff like that. But then it goes back to like almost polygonal chibi versions of seven so let me, i'm gonna be super honest with you reno i do not know how to feel about ever crisis i'm excited i have no idea what the heck it is but i'm gonna play it you know i mean what does it do for you as somebody who has uh you know grew up on seven i i mean i was really intrigued by it it looks it looked really really cool and i guess to your point as well the whole like let's dominate the player's mind 24 7 if they're not at their desktop if they're not at their con- tv home console they're on their phone it's like we're gonna like inject cloud zach Aerith, everyone into their veins like all the time um i actually never played any f- mobile Final fantasy games i think a lot of it just wasn't really advertised like where, where i was growing up or maybe they were like just like mostly based in japan so i'm curious like it definitely looks amazing and like i think mobile games have like taken such a big turn in the last few years like they're proper games to be reckoned with they're not just cash grabs they're not just like you know your visual or you know, trying to think of like what games my parents play. I can't think of any right now, but I think um, I will definitely give it a try as well. I don't know how to feel either, but it, it's accessible at least. It's on mobile. Everyone can play it if they want to. So we'll definitely give that a try when it's out. Moving on. From- <laughs> <laughs> Say something, <laughs> No, I just like, I, I, there's so much fun with IC7. I'm, I'm really happy for that property, but I, I was going to go through the motions of like the, the discourse that's been happening over the past few years, which is give me the golden saucer. Let me date Barrett. Like, uh, oh, I can't wait for this part. I Let can't wait for this part. Barrett. I'm I so- not had that discourse. Oh, really? I, no. uh, we joke about it all the time in my uh, group that I play Final Fantasy fourteen with. It's like, God, I can't wait to date Barrett at the Golden Saucer. Like, screw Aerith and Tifa, you know? Because in the original, you can go on that one date. You can choose a yeah. date companion to go with. Um, yeah. And so I, I just, uh, I'm inundated by Final Fantasy seven stuff, which is why maybe I'm a little bit like overwhelmed by it. But it's one of those things where just don't give me, same thing with 16 almost, like don't give me anything else. I just want to experience seven in all its glory uh, via all these games. Just put it in my hands. Yeah. Super excited for all of that. I'm going to have date Barrett stuck in my head for the rest of today. <laughs> um, let's talk about Wholesome Direct. That was, um, I know that was the showcase you were the most excited for. Like, I don't think I've ever seen you that excited at 2 a.m. Um, <laughs> I guess, I'm, yeah. You, I think prior to that, you'd message me, I guess, I guess we were messaging each other just to make, kind of like low-key make sure we were both awake, right? Awake, like, yeah. Like, get it, get a sweater, get a warm non-caffeinated drink. Like, it's, it's, it's like time to get cozy. And I was, and I was really hyped for that because I knew it was something uh, really special for you. How did you find it this year? It was okay. I mean, the reason why I love the Wholesome Direct, for those that don't know, is that it came out during the pandemic. And I think there should be an essay written about how, and I think they did do uh, a GDC talk, uh, Victoria and you know Kim Chika did, and somebody else I think was on that panel, they did do a talk on you know, the explosion of Wholesome Games at GDC. But it's a really fascinating one because post-pandemic, I feel like even during the pandemic, people kind of felt that, you know, you're at home. A lot of these games that are coming out that are AAA are violent. They're, you know, 
you know, prepping for Elden Ring, you're playing Dark Souls, and like, yeah. I can only play, I love Bloodborne, I can only play Bloodborne so much during the pandemic, right? So I feel like the Wholesome Games as a concept was such a beautiful thing to come out of the pandemic in a weird way where, hey, let's focus on just beautiful, wholesome, like you said, it's just like, it's like drinking a nice mug of tea. It's like relaxing and pajamas. It's like just playing a cozy game, right? Uh, so I've historically, I've loved the Wholesome Direct, but they also execute the Direct so well where they focus on indie developers, not only um, in one part of the world, but global indie developers as well. They give a voice to developers, but they just showcase amazing games that uh, you would, t- you know, typically maybe wouldn't get highlighted at a big uh, industry showcases, despite there being a greater presence of indie games at showcases recently. Uh, so yeah, I just, I fell in love with the Wholesome Direct a couple of years ago and I thought this year's one was okay. I think if you're talking about the show in general, I think it, the production was a little bit off. I think, uh, you know, just some editing stuff and I'm sure they were really stressed to get everything together. And the fact that it came out is a huge accomplishment, but it didn't feel as great to me tonally as last year's one. Uh, but at the end of the day, some amazing games were shown and uh, it did feel overwhelming because of how many games were on there. But at the same time, it's like celebrate more games. Like that just gives, gives more opportunities for more developers to show off their stuff. How did you feel about the uh, wholesome direct overall? I was very overwhelmed. I think there were at least, I think they said 70, but 70 to 80 games that were being shown. And I felt like, um, so when I was growing up, my younger brother was going to these classes where they would do like flashcards in front of him. I think they were trying to like instill like photograph, photographic memory. And I felt like that child like sitting there just like, okay. And it's just like, trailer, 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 trailer. It's like, oh my God. Like before I could even like process that I like this game, it's on to the next one. So it was, it was quite a lot for me. But I also see that's the other side, which is like, let's try and fit in as many games as possible. You know, like a few seconds of screen time in front of a global audience is better than nothing. If it's if it really resonated with you, you probably write it down and check it out later, which I think we'll see when we discuss the games that we liked, right? There's, there's a couple that just stick with you and you're like, okay, let me rewatch that trailer later on or let me like do more research about the, the team behind it, things like that. So it was good. A bit of an overwhelming time, again, for like a 2, a 2 a.m presentation for us but um the the i guess the comment you made about like you know it, it sort of came out of like a difficult time which is really cool but also just like it makes me wonder like what is the state of mental health in general that you know people are there are definitely strong themes that you see in a lot of these wholesome games like really cozy games like zero stakes like you're safe kind of games or games about like uh frogs and cats and rabbits like like small endearing little animals games about making tea or cooking or something like just really um peaceful games which i like but i also wonder like what is causing um people to go towards these like games that give them this kind of comfort like what what's i think it's a bit of a commentary about society these days and like how difficult life can be that we need this these kind of escapes i i laughed out loud i think during our wholesome direct uh, reactions when you said that it's like what does it say about us that we need a game to like ease our mind by watering a plants in in game you know or living your or throwing out trash in game and that feels uh, rejuvenating or cathartic or whatever, right? But um, despite the humor, yeah, you're right. It is uh, quite sad. But at the same time, to me, it's also quite... Uh, it's something that excites me because you can bring to life something that you think is mundane and have it be showcased in gameplay that is really interesting. Or sometimes people just need a break. And although you might be living your a second life like in these games or of things that you would be doing in your real life anyway, uh, to me, it's just... Uh, there's something about it. And it goes to this whole like farming sim 
kind of uh, commentary as well, right? Where a lot of games at these showcases, not only the wholesome direct, but most showcases, like a lot of indie games have farming mechanics, which is what we talked about on those uh, on our reactions as well. Uh, but it's just one of those like maybe being productive, like you said, is what we need to feel as society, this hyper-capitalist society. And at least we get to do that in a game <laughs> rather than <laughs> feed the corporate machine. Get, getting into a weird like meta commentary about, yeah, technically maybe some games are financed by corporate machines as well that all, all they want you to do is be productive. But uh, all said and done, I'm excited for innovative gameplay and I'm excited for just experiences that are not your first-person shoot-shoot, magic, explore, you know, kind of a scenario. Uh, so uh, that's what I love. But um, what were some of the games that caught you off guard or maybe that you remember from the Wholesome Direct that are either about productivity or are just like cute as hell? Cute as hell, definitely for me, the one that stood out for me was like Usagishima, which is like Rabbit Island in Japanese. It Instantly I looked at it and it was like, it, it just unlocked this core memory in my mind of playing another game, mobile game called Neko Atsume. And in Neko Atsume, it's just like you have a cat or you have several cats, you just log in every now and then. And then when there's like the bo- the cat bowl is empty, you just fill it up and then just buy the games. Like the the game itself decides like, oh, when, when cats come by, how many cats come by. And I think there's like a log somewhere in the game where like you can record how many cats come. I don't know hundred percent like everything about Usagishima, just ba- but just based on the trait, it looks very similar. It's like, I think it's set up in like a very Japanese style house. And then there'll just be lots of rabbits around. And I'm sure there's a mechanic where you can like, uh, log oh which rabbit has come visit you very very similar vibes but it's like super cute and again about escapism right you're at your desk job that you hate so much you're like oh like i just want to relax go into my little rabbit island and then hang out with my rabbits for, <laughs> for a while for like five minutes or something and that's all you need i think it serves that kind of purpose but it's such it's such a cute game a lot of it comes down to just great art great design and just it just kind of hooks you in that way yeah that one looked really cute i know they i think they revealed that one at these um Game Awards, uh, wholesome snack bite thing that they did uh, a couple months back. But yeah, it just looks so, 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 so cute. Like again, this whole animal theme, it's like, okay, we had cats. Cats are still a big prevalent part of indie games now. We had frogs last year at the Wholesome Direct. There were a lot of frog games at the Wholesome Direct last year. A couple of frogs this year as well, but bunnies, where the, where's the bunny love in, in, uh, indie games? So it's a nice, uh, break from typical like a- animal, <laughs> like characters that we have. Yeah, definitely. So what what was a highlight for you? What caught your eye? Oh, let me talk about, speaking of animal characters, you know how much of a fan I am of Pokemon. I want to talk about Beastie Ball. Beastie Ball is, in short, Pokemon playing competitive volleyball. (laughs) (laughs) What a pitch, you know? Uh, Which is just extremely exciting. It's from the developers of Chicory, which is really cool. Uh, It's an indie game that it's been on my list for forever and it just looks absolutely gorgeous. But they're basically making, yeah, like Pokemon with volleyball. So that one was such a one that caught me by surprise. I think it actually was shown off at Day of the Devs the day before the Wholesome Direct, but I didn't catch that show. But this one is one of those ones where it just looks so... Like how how have people not iterated more on the Pokemon concept, right? Like we did have uh, Pokemon with guns. Uh, I forgot the- Pal, Pal World? Pal, Pal World, right? <laughs> Pokemon with guns. Yeah, and like, okay. And then we had uh, Temtem, I believe, which is like almost a direct competitor with Pokemon. We've had a couple of those like rip Pokemon ripoffs. This one to me is so cool because it's like, yes, it is literally Pokemon. They evolve, you can train them. They, they looked like types. Pokemon. The, they, designs the designs look like uncannily like some very famous Pokemon that we all know. Yeah, I think we were calling it out during the like, <laughs> like, live hey, reaction. So and so, yeah. Yeah, that's Altaria. That's a little, like, little, <laughs> that's a little diglet. Uh, but yeah. 
to me, PC block gets me excited because it is the Pokemon concept in a different framing. And uh, to me, that is creative and that's uh, original, despite kind of taking, you know, a lot of Pokemon influences. Uh, so I'm just excited. Like a sports Pokemon game is not what I, you know, would put on my list as one of my most anticipated indies. But yeah, I'm really excited to see beastie ball i think it looks really cute but also i'm gonna i'm gonna top gun the hell out of this game you know i'm gonna stream it with like a headband on with some like you know the the tennis players what do they put on the, the wrist like a sweat the, the, like, like the, a sweat, sweat the sweat yeah the sweat bands yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. i'm just gonna be like all right chikorita you need to go far right serve it up for totodile and totodile is gonna use water gun to smash you're gonna, you're gonna asian dad your pokemon you're gonna you're gonna absolutely yeah absolutely <laughs> That's cool. On the topic of of sports games, though, the one that caught my my eye was Toaster Ball. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it really okay in a sea of like like you said, cats, frogs, every adorable animal, every farming scene. Suddenly, you just see a bunch of toasters on the screen, and I'm like, what is going on? It's so it seems like it's a volleyball or in the game as well, but you're a toaster, and I think there's like two toasters on each side, and when the like when they show the shots of them like reaching for the ball, it's like the toast ejecting from the toaster <laughs> to like, I don't know, serve up or like smash the ball in. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but this looks fun. And I feel like this would make great streaming material. Yeah, Toaster Ball looks wacky as heck. I think it looked like um, Rocket League kind of like a yeah. take, right? But Toaster. It just looks like one of those. <laughs> like I love <laughs> concepts of indie games where mobility is an issue. <laughs> where it's like it's but you're supposed to like shimmy around as a toaster or like only yeah. use one mechanic to move like to me it's the funniest thing i i i, I think on a serious note it's like i bring back this couch co-op concept i know some games have been really reeling it in with games like it takes two overcooked and uh you know gang beast and these like couch co-op games like yeah toaster ball it's like just so reminds me of those weird like just weird games that used to play with my friends on the couch like, during the ps2 era I hope they do super well and it's the start of like toaster meta and then we'll start seeing the same <laughs> like instead of cats and frogs and, and rabbits it's going to be toaster games like raise your own toaster toaster yeah. farming sim toaster <laughs> RPG or like a whole appliance series you know this, 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 I'm calling this franchise. right now that's, that's my prediction for 2024 alright yeah. um, what else think, what else yeah, yeah I think uh, you know I've been playing uh, you know uh I've been playing indie games, I've been playing AAA games, and uh, I actually watched a really interesting talk, uh, not like obviously online, I didn't go to GDC, but there was a GDC talk from the Marvel Snap uh, developer, where, you know, they created Marvel Snap, and they looked at a variety of card games as influences. So not just like, you know, things like Magic the Gathering, but also like Hearthstone. But they said like, hey, video, like, we should take inspiration from board games, right? Like board games are games inherently. And let me tell you, when I saw this game called Baladins, I lost it. It's like the, just to talk about the aesthetic for a second, they have the almost like, a, um, oh my God, what's the Link game that came out? The remake of the Legend of Zelda game that came out where everything's super cute and um, hyper, hyper realistic toy kind of like aesthetic. Um, Link's Awakening. It, it, the background is it, it looks like the Link's Awakening aesthetic where it looks like a super cute, gummy, almost texture looking background. But your characters are like paper cutouts almost, right? Um, cartoon characters that are almost like Adventure Time inspired. So to me, it's just board game like mechanics and gameplay on that kind of art style is something that got me super excited. So uh, Baladins was on my list of like, oh my God, this looks like such a me 
thing because I love playing board games with my friends and I love this like aesthetic. Uh, so Baladins was really, really doing it for me at the showcase. I'm excited to see what the gameplay loop actually is because it does seem a bit, um, it does seem like a board game. So there is like a lot of mechanics and, uh, you know, adventuring and moving around and uh, uh, leveling up companions and whatnot. But I, I'm excited. I'm excited to learn more about about that game. It definitely had a very unique design and again, stood out in the sea of like other indie games. And I guess the, the board game reference, but also, you know, those like pop-up books, the ones where you open oh, yeah. and th- those things appear that really, really made me think of those. And it's just like such a, such a nostalgic take. And those books were, I don't know, like really underrated in my opinion, like growing up, like how intricate the designs were, how, you know, you have to make it so that the characters like really like stand up as you open the book. And that's, yeah, that re- balance really ma- reminded me of that. Yeah, I completely agree. It's uh, again this. Uh, we're in a phase of indie games where, uh, even though indie games are lower budget than AAA, there are maybe some that just wow you with the creativity and the innovation. Like again, to be to cross um, art art styles like that. Uh, we were talking about Spider Verse very briefly off the show, right? Prior to recording this, but it's just you know the melding of art styles is something that I feel like indies do best, and uh, this aesthetic is something that I'm excited for. And speaking of aesthetics, um, this one game that reminded us both, I think we both like exclaimed it at almost at the same time when we were watching the live stream. So Fields of Mystria looks exactly like Sailor Moon or I guess the 90s shoujo era anime. Did that, did that excite you? Yeah, I thought this was their one more thing kind of uh, concept, right? Which is quite surprising to me. I didn't know why other than the aesthetic, but I think the aesthetic says it all. It like the animation literally reminds me. I, I don't, I, I didn't watch a lot of anime from that era, right? But it just to me is so Sailor Moon. But it's another one of these like almost farming sim kind of adventure uh, games. But let me tell you, the fact that it looks like an homage to that era of games, I think is uh, quite apparent. But yeah, this game looks super exciting. Even the menu looks like, uh, reminds me of Game Boy Advance games as well, right? Like, uh, I don't know if it's in that aspect ratio. I, I doubt it, but it, it just looks like a modern, it looks like it's going to take all the mechanics of all the farming sims that have come out since. Um, and it's going to be a modern, almost farming sim game. But in the aesthetic and uh, as an homage to games of that time, uh, what does it do for you? I mean, are you excited for, I know, I know you're a big, uh, you're, you're not a Stardew person. I know you're a big Story of Seasons, Harvest Moon kind of person. Like, uh, does this, uh, what are your reactions to this game? I really like the aesthetic and I think uh, 90s anime, that sort of vintage era is making a big comeback, like not just within games, but just like in the artist circles that I've seen that I follow on Twitter. A lot of the fan art they do about like Genshin or Honkai Star, a lot of artists are doing that in the 90s style. It's, it's really popular. Um, and a lot of it is sort of like based on like Sailor Moon or like any of your Magical Girl series from, from that era. So the art style definitely caught my eye. I think when it comes to these games, at least for me personally, like what keeps me invested in the grind of farming your turnips and like raising your cows and all of that is really about the relationships between the characters. Like first and foremost, like do I feel motivated enough to explore the game and to really have that connection with other characters? And the second thing is honestly like how hot are the character portraits? <laughs> because like that, w- that I think that that's why I'm not a big Stardew person. Like I just don't feel anything for a bunch of pixels. I'm sorry, unpopular opinion. But with Story of Seasons, the, the designs just get better and better with each remake. And I'm really excited for the one that's coming up. But And the same with Feel of Mystery. Like, I need to kind of get more into it and then like watch the trails a bit better. But so far, it seems like everyone's really attractive. It, it's like a really good design. And I think those, those are the two things that will make me like, all right, I'm going to grind this because I want to 
advance my relationship with X person or I want to make enough money so I can buy stuff and, and continue the progress. Like that for me, it's always story and character driven when it comes to these kind of games. Yeah, I think, uh, well, one tidbit, I was just looking up the trailer as well. Like, I didn't realize that Toby Fox was doing some music on, on this game as well. Um, so just super interesting. I, I completely missed that. But yeah, so it does seem like they're bringing some heavy hitters or you know, treating this game as if it's going to be a very, very polished experience. Uh, but dude, I mean, just talking about an homage to that era, like you said, like even the backgrounds, I think there was like checkered backgrounds as uh, the menu. Like that is so old. Like it's so, in a way that it's like, it just reminds you of a certain time of uh, when games were coming out. Uh, I'm sorry, Leah from Stardew Valley isn't attractive enough for you. You know, I, I, my sincerest apology on behalf of Leah, my wife in Stardew Valley. Um, I, I, we apologize. I'm sure she's great. I'm sure she's got a great personality. She's an artiste, all right? She's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she sculpts. Um, yeah, but it's uh, quite interesting because we talk about farming sims all the time. Like, I, I don't, I really try to get into farming sims after Stardew. Stardew was one of my first farming sims. Um, and just nothing comes close to that experience. So I'm curious if this one is going to get me motivated enough to go through it but it does like from what i'm seeing there's I, I don't know how to describe it there's like an x quality factor about this that just looks like it'll be the one that gets me back into a farming sim game so uh, i wow like i'm excited i love that this was showcased at the wholesome direct yeah definitely one that i call out of people's eyes for sure again it just feels like yeah, having a, a specific design and I, I think if the trailer is condensed and compact enough to just be like oh okay like i noticed that i'm gonna go look into it later um, is a thing. All right, we got two more. I think we wanted to talk about. So I'll bring up the first one. So Venba, uh, that that had a really really cool art style as well, and it reminded me. I think the way it was laid out like a Pixar short, like really heartwarming family wow, at its yeah. core. That sort of that sort of um, storytelling, which is what um, made me kind of like have a double take at it. But it's basically from what I've gathered so far, it's it's about you know it's got a great like cooking sort of um narrative towards it right it's like an, an indian family and you're cooking like very indian food which i know for both of us you know growing up in malaysia and the indian community being a very big part of, Mal of malaysia's community like we recognize some of the food and again just really great that it's bringing um a culture that is less represented especially in the games industry to the forefront and doing it in such a way that's like really beautiful really cute and just has a really yeah really cozy sort of family values kind of uh, game is what i got what did you think yeah, I mean, I'll just read out the quick description of it as well, right? To give us greater context on the listeners too, is Venba is a short narrative cooking game where you play as an Indian mom who immigrates to Canada with her family in the 1980s. Players will cook various dishes and restore lost recipes, holding branching conversations and explore uh, and exploring the story about family, love, loss, and more, right? If that is not the most indie-ass like, description that gets me excited, I don't know what is, right? Because when you talk about indie games, you always, we always, even in, throughout the show, we've referenced, you know, aesthetics and what they're going for in their art style, a lot of these tropes, and if they're executing on these tropes, I think one thing that is violently underrated in the indie experience is the magic of storytelling, where I often think indie games have much, like, far spectacular stories than a lot of AAA games. And um, to me, I... I I'm ready to cry. I'm ready to get excited, but all under the guise of food, which is the most Southeast Asian thing for me. But in a weird, weird way of representation, it's like, you know, we have um, uh, obviously like here in Southeast Asia, there's a lot of like, you know, Indian influences in our culture. Uh, we have a lot of Indian culture here in Malaysia specifically, right? But even just, you know, talking about maybe cross Asian culture, where uh, although uh, this isn't a game about Southeast Asia, just the 
food choices are so Asian, I guess, where I'm curious <laughs> how many people will pick up on it. Like even just seeing fried fish in a pan. Fried like, fish, that's I know. It. Like that's all you have to do. It's like, I, it's so weird how conceptually that is like such a, an Asian thing, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, it seems like it's one of those games where I'm ready to cry. I'm ready to get excited about some of the things that connect with me on a cultural level. Uh, but I'm also excited to see just overall representation in the game space from cultures that are not typically represented, um, whilst also telling a very endearing story from what it seems like. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that I think you've captured it perfectly. I didn't know that bit about how it was about a, a migrant family relocating to Canada. I think diaspora stories are, are always wonderful. And we've read lots of books about it. There's lots of films about it. So let, let's see some games, you know, tell that story as well. That'd be yeah. really cool. Um, last one. Did you want to? Did you want to cover the last one? It's a very special one for. Yeah, I want to talk about Everdeep Aurora. It's a. It's one of those ones where we. I vividly remember the reaction to that. Right where we saw it on screen, and the first thing you said, it was like, "Oh my god, that's the cat from Kiki's Delivery Service," <laughs> which is undoubtedly true. It's undoubtedly true. Um, but yeah, Everdeep Aurora uh, by Nautilus Games. It looks like almost like I think the closest thing that I can reference is uh, as an inspiration is almost like a Hollow Knight. Type Type of game where you're exploring this the depths of this fantasy world um but the differences here it seems like it is non-combat i think they've been explicit that it is non-combat it's exploration based but there's also something about this art style that is so mind-blowing to me where i know we joke about it like uh we i think both of us kind of identified that it was a east bird game like before uh, they said it was a east yeah bird before game. <laughs> exactly just because of how whenever they publish games it seems like there's a specific ui ux kind of like out, outlay that they try to usually go for in their games. But to me, that's what gives it so much of its originality. Like, I think I remember seeing the map on the right side being like, oh, you, the map is just on the screen itself, you know? And it's almost as if you have the cutout, like a Game Boy screen um, in the middle where you're actually having the gameplay. Your items are on the left and then the map is on the right, all without having to pull up a menu per se. So it's th small things like that where, again, we talk about innovation in independent games. Like, that is amazing. But to me, it's like, look, I'm a huge fan of Dark Souls. I'm a huge fan of Bloodborne. And I love these, like, gothic horror worlds where these fantasy creatures, you know, they breathe new life in these fantastical fantasy kind of creatures. Everdeep Aurora seems to be doing that and it's a aesthetic as well with their characters. Like, we saw an owl. We saw this, like... Uh, frog creature thing with a hood like there's something about these magical creature kind of like interpretations that just get me so good so i'm excited for ever deep aurora but uh, i'm curious how the gameplay actually is at the end of the day it looks like exploration it looks like platforming it looks like mini game oriented but oh my god this looks I i'm just so excited for this type of game i don't know like uh, how do you feel about ever deep aurora um, yeah, I guess just going back to our live stream, when I saw it, I, for, for some reason, I was like, this looks like World of Horror, but it absolutely is nothing like World of Horror at the same time, right? Because it's cozy, there's non-combat, it's not a horror game at all, and the style is still different, but there was something about it that just made me think that. And I know you had a similar uh, reaction to it. That's why we both came to the conclusion that there was a use break game, but we did, I think we didn't want to say it because we were like, oh, like, not all games, right? But <laughs> it turned out that yeah, it, was, it, turns like, out it is all games that look like that will <laughs> Be published by his <laughs> but the the fact that it's non-combat i feel like is really interesting because that um both limits what you the gameplay style but also opens up another area of opportunity like it's you're not going to be smacking monsters left and right you're you're literally a, an adorable cat but like how does this adorable cat like trapes through the world and yeah excited for that too um really really cool art style i can kind of see it on a t-shirt for some reason i can just i can already <laughs> imagine the merch and, and how how great it's going to look so very excited for that one I agree. I agree. Yeah, the, to close the Wholesome Direct segment, it's like, 
again, I'm so happy that these games exist. This showcase exists. I again, for me, the overall, the showcase itself wasn't as good as the year before. But celeb- like for those that are listening to this podcast and maybe are more interested in the AAA stuff, and if you're listening to this segment, like please, like wish list these games. Like find the developers on Twitter, tweet about them. If you're a creator, if you're media, like write articles, make a video about them because I honestly think there are some hidden gems that do not deserve to be hidden. You know what I mean? So um, I love that Wholesome Direct is a platform for these independent games. But again, when you talk about innovation, when you talk about things that influence um, the overall industry, there are some stuff that are, um, I bet they're going to be coming out of these games that will influence a bunch of other Wholesome games or just independent games in general. So I'm so excited by that concept. Yeah. And I mean, if you think you're just, you know, into AAA games, like just, just try a game that might not be up your alley. I mean, look at Arif. Look at our last episode where Arif literally covers both Diablo on one end of the spectrum and Hello Good Boy on the other. To the point where even the Hello Good Boy devs who saw the video were like, this is a really interesting video. Who knew <laughs> Diablo and Hello Good Boy could be in one video? But it's totally possible. And yeah, just open your mind to different kind of games that you wouldn't normally play. And you'll be really surprised by what you find, I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. The next couple of showcases that we did, we can kind of go through those really quickly. We had Xbox, which is, which is very, very new for me. I, I, I have been going in blind to these showcases, but Xbox in particular is not, I've never owned an Xbox and I'm like one year into being a PC gamer. So it's, it was a really, really new territory for me. What were the sort of like couple of things that caught your eye? Yeah, I mean, again, talking about the showcase in general, I thought this was the best showcase at Summer Game Fest or like, you know, the whole Summer Game Fest showcase like slate because Xbox really needed a win. They really needed to showcase games. They did, they just needed some additional gusto to maybe their public perception, especially because of, you know, the Activision Blizzard deal falling, uh, uh, falling in numerous instances or also the extremely poor reviews for uh, Redfall and overall the fact that over the past couple of years, we haven't seen a lot of, you know, properties from the Xbox first party lineup that have shined. You know, they've come out and like they're there, but they haven't really like, you know, explained themselves in the in the most fantastic way. Uh, I thought the showcase was awesome. Like the fact that it was just games, 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 game pass, game pass, game pass, game pass, right? Like well, was really cool. Like world but, premiere, day yeah, one exactly. on Xbox Game Pass. <laughs> exactly. Um, but to me, I just like, again, you listen to Sarah Bond's uh, part in that uh, segment in that show, and then you listen to Phil Spencer's um, segment in that show, you can really tell that this is a team that is committed to their studio and committed to the success, even though they've taken a bunch of punches to, to the face. But I don't think we need to talk about much. I, before we get to the big one, I just want to quickly talk about, I believe this is where, uh, oh, oh, maybe, oh, I'm compl- I think I'm completely wrong. Never mind. I'll, I'll keep. I'll keep that for the next one. Uh, I. I think the only thing to mention really is Starfield. And uh, <laughs> literally the Starfield half of the, literally half of the the whole showcase. Yes. Yeah. I I was blown away. I think by the level of detail that they went into explaining. It felt like like this game is not done yet. Like. They, they've. I felt like we met every, we met like every developer and their mom, like in, in talking about their favorite aspects of the game, the the sheer number of things you could do in it. It's got combat. It's got like dating sim, visual novel elements. We get to know the people. There's um the bit where we were fly, like building the ship, and I think you you likened it to the the gummy ship in Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Um. That you build your own weapons, and then even the character designs as well. It seems like it has sort of like different like, um trait trees i suppose it's like oh like a character that's like really affluent in like speaking or a character's really good in combat like you can build the characters in any way you want it's i almost feel like i need to give up on my actual life and just like 
go into Starfield and live life there because it's just so involved. It just has so many aspects to it. I'm like, how is this a game? This this should be an entire world that we're just going into and, and living life there. This should be like a, like a literal second life is kind of how I felt about it. What did you think? Yeah, I was rewatching it with a friend after as well, right? And just articulating the amount of breath this game has where i and i think we brought this up in the showcase again right like and i keep bringing this up folks because if you want to watch any of our live reactions after the fact they're all up on youtube for the most part but i just want to really bring down the fact that it didn't stop the starfield direct did not stop every single time you were like oh okay we can end here. It seems like a great game. It's like, well, <laughs> we're going to introduce a going. whole new mechanic. It just it's keeps like, going. Yeah. Again, conceptually, Reno, like this is what I love about and what I was reflecting on over the past couple of days where we're in a, an era of the industry that is so interesting to me because Todd Howard literally said at the start of it where this game is impos- only possible now. This game is only possible now because of the state of technology uh, in games, right? The state of technology out there where similar to Zelda, right? Tears of the Kingdom where... I, there's like infamous tweets out there on the internet. I don't know who exactly uh, <laughs> mentioned that, but they said like, dude, there are four mechanics in here where 10, 15 years ago, that one mechanic would have been a whole Zelda game, like the main exactly. Zelda mechanic. So now there's like four in one, uh, all four in Tears of the Kingdom. Similar to Starfield, base building, combat mechanics, character trait RPG, uh, like gummy ship building, spaceship building, <laughs> dog fights, uh, oh, world yeah. exploration, resource mining, like, a, a campaign story like starfield seems way too good to be true and the only way that i can attribute this to is like the narrative is almost similar to uh cyberpunk when it was being shown off before the disaster hit where this game seems impossible and you could really live in it and like there's so much care and heart put into this but let me tell you the most interesting thing about the starfield direct to me the developers look happy the developers <laughs> look excited like uh, jokes aside, uh, the game's no one industry looked tired. Is, Everyone yeah. looked like they got their eight hours. <laughs> uh, maybe just for the filming. For, that segment, right? <laughs> like I'm waiting for the one Jason Fryer hit, yeah, or <laughs> no clip documentary of how stressful it is to put that thing together. But uh, the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing about the Starfield Direct really wasn't even about Starfield for me. It was the fact that I love hearing developer voices, and they showcased developer voices, but they showed more than 10 people um, during that video. And the fact that they're excited about their game and playing their own game and experiencing their own game gets me so excited. When somebody said like, hey, this is how I like to play Starfield, coming from somebody who worked on Starfield, it's just like, my God, that's so cool. It's like, you're a fan of your own game too. There's nothing uh, more more exciting than that. That part was really cool when it's like, it it showcased like how much they love it, but also how many different ways they have to play a game. There's no right or wrong way to play Starfield. Like some of them were like, oh, I just like causing chaos. And then some of them are like, oh, I just like base building. And it's like, cool. So we can all kind of do different things within this game. I will say like the, the I did see some comments which um, made me think as well about the game, like on Twitter, which was that it's not your typical kind of like dystopian, like space is terrible kind of game. Like a lot of other space games are, are following that narrative of like deep space. It's scary. It's, it's unknown. This just felt like um, I don't know what it is. It's like space is livable. It's like in the future, the future's not that bad. So it didn't sort of paint like a very dark um, brush to the game, which I think is also good for like, if you want to spend a lot of time in there and just not come out being depressed, right? Um, it's just a different take on, I guess, yeah, on the space theme or like the futuristic theme. Are you are you genuinely thinking about picking it up? Because I don't know if these types of games are in your real house. To be honestly transparent with you, these games are not in my real house. I've never been a Fallout person. I've never been a Western RPG person. Um, do you think you're going to pick this one up? 
I think if enough of us do in our in our friend group, I might just because it, it sounds like a, a wild experience. It, it rem- <laughs> I don't know if this is like a controversial a controversial take, but it just reminds me of how like the Avatar, the the, the blue people movies, uh, were not my thing, but people just end up going into it for the experience. <laughs> So this, like, it, again, like, it's similar, like, exactly as you said, it's not normally my kind of game, not my kind of aesthetic, not not anything I would not be interested in. But the, I guess the director did its job because now my my now I'm paying attention. You know, now I might actually do it. Yeah, this gets me excited like no other Bethesda game has in the past before. Upgraded engine, but uh, I can't emphasize to you enough that I think I said it uh, whilst we were re- reacting to it. I'm just so glad it has a story. Where I feel like games nowadays can get so whisked away by the tech, by the yeah. amount of gameplay mechanics you can have. But to me, I'm just so excited to experience the story alongside all these mechanics. So I'm waiting for this one to punch. Mm-hmm. I I want to I, I want to just go back a bit and talk about one game that I missed from the Xbox showcase um, called Jusant, which is a, a game from Don't Nod, and it's a uh, it's interesting indie art style with little eyes. I know you commented about like the eyes being like very cartoony and a little bit <laughs> a little bit odd. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's like it seems like a game. It's like exploration. It's all focused on uh, climbing as well. And I know climbing has been a huge uh, recreational activity over the past like couple of years, right? Uh, but this game looks really exciting. But can I just say that uh, I tweeted this out? But don't nod to me is I don't know what the heck don't nod is on. But the fact that three of their most recently announced games all have different uh, a different art direction and a different art style is mind blowing. Where you have Jusan, where it's like when the Don't Nod logo came up, I was like, oh my God, it's Don't Nod. Like, what the heck is that? You know what I mean? Uh, the fact that they have that, they have uh, another darker, um, I can't remember what title that was. They have uh, Banisher's Ghost of New Eden, which is kind of like a darker, almost Witcher esque, uh, Diablo like uh, kind of game. Uh, and then they have Harmony as well, Harmony Fall, uh, The Fall of Reverie, which is kind of like an indie, uh, more narrative experience. And then they have Jusan. It's like, I don't know what what is going on and don't not, but it's as if they were like, hey, we're going to just go into 10 different directions and just absolutely kill it and uh, make games that are just beautiful and engaging uh, in that way. So, I mean, my history with Don't Not is I love Life is Strange. Life is Strange is one of my favorite games of all time uh, and Don't Not developed the first one. So I I just want to acknowledge that, like, you know, talk about developer surprises at this summer games, you know, time frame. Um, Don't Not the concept of don't nods games and the fact that they're all different just blew me out of the water i mean there's no bigger flex than that right like we can do anything we can design anything or like making games that people don't expect um is just such a cool thing i don't have as much um background on this but i really loved the way you lit up when you were like oh my god it's don't not i'm like that that's really really cool what a what a big surprise and for fans we got one more showcase to kind of cover. Uh, this was the last one. The one that I mentioned was on actual like normal hours for us in Southeast <laughs> Asia. So this was the, the Capcom showcase. I went in going, oh God, if they remake the, if they redo, repackage another Ace Attorney game, I'm going to have like flipped the table. <laughs> and that was literally, I think the second thing they, they showed, they showed Apollo Justice Ace Attorney Trilogy. So a compilation of another three of the older um, Ace Attorney games. So one being featuring Phoenix Wright and the other two featuring Apollo Justice, which is like the second uh, protagonist later on in the series. But then after um, we finished the stream and I saw some of the tweets of our friends who are like massive Ace Attorney fans, like way bigger than I am, and them being so excited about it, I was like, actually, you know, it's not that bad. Like, 
a lot of people didn't get to play the game maybe because it wasn't part of their childhood or you know they were a bit younger and the way that they now that they're remastering it for another it's like for another generation i'm like that's great like Ace Tourney games are amazing, and I really hope um, everyone, including yourself, picks it up um, this time around. <laughs> what are you talking about? I played every Ace Attorney game. <laughs> yeah. so, don't cancel me, man. Don't cancel <laughs> me. There was a... Was it Johanna on Twitter? Johanna, like- it was... June? No, it was Brian. So, so some of some people, some of our friends came after you on Twitter, but Brian came after you on WhatsApp, and it was... What did Arif you say on WhatsApp? Arif has never played Ace Attorney, question mark, like 10 times 10. Oh and this God. was just, I think this was just after both of us had like gone to bed because we just, you know, had like four days in a row of like streaming at stupid o'clock. And I think you saw the message and you're like, goes back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. I was uh, way too tired to entertain Brian's like judgment, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm excited for Ace Attorney fans. It's like what I do feel like I miss out. I've said this on the podcast before. The reason why I do want to play at least one of them is because people like, I, and I literally said this on like episode two of the podcast. People froth at the mouth at Ace Attorney. It's like, oh my God, it's Ace Attorney. It's like, I'm like, <laughs> fuck it, like just shove that down my throat. You know, it's like, I, I don't know what it is. And I'm so, well, ex, ex, yeah, like, I don't know what it is about this property, but um, it never been my kind of game, never been excited for it. But I, like, I mean, the character is iconic, right? So glad this was at the Capcom showcase. Like more Ace Attorney, great. Like, we'll see if I play it. I'm, I'm excited for you all. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited for you all, but. We'll see. It's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll bring, I'll point a gun at your forehead and be like, <laughs> it's turning. No. Um, <laughs> Objection. Objection. <laughs> you, you know the memes. Exactly. That's the thing. You know the yeah. memes. So, so just to so play the game with the meme. <laughs> the last one I think to note, I guess, uh, from Capcom Showcase is uh, Exo Primal, another game that neither of us probably thought much about until we saw the trailer. I saw it at Tokyo Game Show last year for the first time and I was like, it was like, there was just this giant T-Rex um, statue figurine. I think it was moving. And then like Exoprimal as like the, the logo on it. And I thought like, great, another dinosaur game. Moving on. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not much, I'm not a Jurassic Park kind of girl, you know? But the way that they sort of uh, laid it out in the trailer where it's like co-op. As soon as they said co-op, I was like, oh, okay. Like I will play a game that's not in my warehouse if my friends are with me. And then they've got the the characters with their, I guess, their, their exoskeleton, exoskins. And the fact that you can like kind of change um, the different skins. I think I, I know you really like that because you didn't, I think you didn't like the original design, but you like the customized ones. Um, and just that it's a bit, it's not your straight up, I guess, Jurassic Park narrative where you're just fighting dinosaurs. It sounds, there's like a futuristic element to it. It sounds like a sci-fi plus dinosaur fantasy also to like mashed into one. Right. Um, so kind of looked interesting for me. Yeah, Exoprimal is a big surprise to me, more so because I didn't realize it was a live service game, like, or they were treating it as a live service game, which again is what we brought up prior. But they're releasing a whole, uh, you know, bevy of updates. There's a collaboration with Street Fighter, and it indicated that there will be other Capcom collaborations down the line as well. Uh, but to me, what gets me going for Exoprimal is again character customization because mech design and suit design is very hit or miss for me. Where there's some that I fall in love with, and some that I just I just don't vibe with the design, and it makes me not want to play some games, right? Or entertain, get really into some properties but the customization for the suits was like oh okay maybe i will get it but i mean i'll just repeat the narrative that a lot of people have said in the past the fact that you have like thousands of dinosaurs and ragdoll physics dropping onto like this building as you shoot more dinosaurs that are running at you and it all seems to be running really well uh again is a comment uh, is like a an indication of the state of the technology in games that they're able to pull it off but also just the fact that like we can entertain these wacky ideas in a modern context and make gameplay feel good and have um 
have it visually executed well as well as opposed to back in you know maybe like the ps2 ps1 era that would have been just like a cutscene. like a meme. it would be like a meme game It'd be like what is this stupid game about yeah. like space and dinosaurs but now it's like no it's freaking awesome because of the, yeah. the mechanics are fluid the graphics are good it's like an actually good game it's like okay we can entertain your weird narratives as long as you deliver like proper gameplay yeah, I'm, a, and I, I'm all for new IP, so uh, uh, we'll see where this ends up. We'll see how many of our friends jump into it. Uh, but yeah, uh, great uh, part. Great to see that as part of the Capcom show. Like, great to see people like them excited about showing off Exoprimal as well. Yeah. It was, uh, overall, I mean, this whole week was exhausting as hell. <laughs> I can't deny that, but it was great. We got to see lots of different games. And um, to 20M listeners out there, like drop us a note in the comments or wherever you're listening to this. Like, what what, is, what has been a game that caught your eye? What is a game that you're definitely wishlisting or playing on day one? Like, we'd love to hear from from all of you. But yeah. speaking of, yeah, speaking of showcases, did you have time to do anything at all this week besides just get get through it? I, I, no, not at all. I just slept a lot. <laughs> no, I, I've been playing, I've been trying to play a little bit. I mean, we'll reserve some thoughts for some future episodes, but was able to spend some time with Final Fantasy 16 demo, which is really exciting. The game comes out in a couple of days, so excited to experience that. I have a whole slew of thoughts, but I think I'll save that for our eventual review of Final Fantasy 16. Uh, I've been playing, a, a, putting a lot of hours into Zelda. I think I've been trying to like, just, hey, you got to finish Zelda before you play other games. But uh, I, yeah, just doing that kind of stuff. I know you played a certain game that you, we want to talk about, a game that I'm not very <laughs> familiar with please tell me reno tell me about we love katamari and royal reverie we love katamari plus royal reverie how am i supposed to say this i like, don't know if it's plus is it and this is one and, of those things it's yeah. like it's like is it spy family or spy x family <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i play this week i play we love katamari plus and royal reverie which is a remaster of we love katamari from the playstation 2 era uh, are you at all familiar with what katamari is, is about in concept i am is and the only thing i know about katamari is uh just hearing the word katamari and it's like, i don't even know what that means so the first question is what does that mean and the second thing is that you just roll up a you. bunch of a bunch of junk <laughs> literally you're just like your ball rolling sim right like i don't know so yeah so you you've, you've basically nailed it so katamari in japanese means clump which is like the most perfect <laughs> word or descriptor for this game where you're a character who's just pushing, rolling this, I guess the only description for it is like a super ultra adhesive ball that picks up everything and the ball just gets bigger and bigger. And the, and I guess that is the, the goal for all most of these levels, which is like to build, to get as big of a katamari, a big of a clump as, as possible. And I think, I, I don't know as much about the history behind the game. I know that the developer just really wanted like a cool, sort of like a cool mechanic that you could build upon. And so the story is a little bit unhinged and very secondary to to the game, but it's, it's still, I think because it's so unhinged, it's become kind of meme-worthy. So in the original game, which is called Katamari Damachi, you're you're the prince of all cosmos and your father is the king of all cosmos. And we'll have a, we'll have a, an image here that shows you what they look like because it's just insane. And basically your father gets really drunk one day and decides to just destroy everything in the universe. Like all the planets, all the stars, everything's just gone. And then he like wakes up and he's like, oh, I kind of I kind of messed up there. All right, now, son, time to rebuild the universe. And I don't know how um, that works because I thought everything, I think everything is gone except planet Earth. So what you do is you're just rolling up crap all over Earth, and then the king turns your katamaris, your clumps, into planets. So he's re rebuilding the universe. 
So this is the original plot. In Wheel of Katamari, you've already done the rebuilding. And for some reason, no one remembers that your father destroyed everything. So they're all like, oh, we're a big fan of the king. So you just kind of go around and um, help people with their with their problems, which all end up just being like Katamari can, can solve it for them. It's, and and it's what well. about it? Like outside of the story, I feel like, I mean, the story is one thing. I never hear anybody talk about the story of Katamari, <laughs> but what is it about this game? What is it about this franchise that makes it so revered uh, in the, like the game's ecosystem and the people that play it? So I think, um, I, so I streamed it a couple of nights ago on Twitch and something a lot of my community members were just saying like, this game is so creative. I could never think of this in a million years. And it's, and it's so true. It's such a simple premise of just rolling up stuff, but to turn that into a game and to turn that into something so replayable is, is just genius. It's, um, it's really addictive gameplay as well. Uh, in the previous episode, in the Diablo episode, actually, we talked about, you know, jingles and, and like so- sounds that give you that kind of hit of dopamine. It's like that with Katamari. As you roll the ball and you pick up stuff, there's like a little tuck, tuck kind of sound uh-huh. and then a little bit of a vibration kickback in your controller. So it's so satisfying to roll roll things up. And the bigger the things are, the the again, the more satisfying it is. So it just keeps you in that loop. And it's such a mindless game as well. So what I did while I've been sort of playing this game and reviewing it, like, you know, I call, I'm call i not calling my mom and we're just chatting on the phone and I'm just like playing because you don't need to think while you're doing it. And it's just like really relaxing, really low stakes. I think there's a mode in the game that's separate to all the levels in the story levels where it's just like infinite rolling. So you just keep going. The music is really relaxing. It's it's, it's kind of weird at the same time. It's like the music is like katamari, katamari, katamari. Like, like people are just repeating their phrase over and over and then some like Japanese words. Um, but then it's like a jazz rendition of wheel of katamari or like a punk edition of wheel of katamari and it just it just really kind of wholesome vibes at least until you lose so if you don't roll if you don't uh complete the mission of like getting your katamari to that right size you get you get to this cutscene where your father is just like mad pissed at you and it's like thunderstorming and he's like all we wanted was this and you couldn't even deliver it's like it's like full asian dad like i am disappointed in you son this is the funniest thing um but yeah i think that's i think that's why it's it's a game that people people love so much it's come it's comforting it's it's really funny it's like zero stakes doesn't really require much skill to play and just has like really really cute animation as well so yeah uh I can definitely say we love Katamari. <laughs> I don't know if we love Katamari. <laughs> you I think, love I think Katamari. You I think you should definitely give it a try. There is one level I want to talk about. So um, as I mentioned before, like, so you have um, characters that are going like, hey, hey. And then you have to go up to them and they're like, oh, uh, I need to clean my room, which, which makes sense. It's like, okay, well, the Katamari will kind of roll around in this sort of like trash room and you're just picking up all, all of that person's junk, right? This one particular group of characters, it's like a pair of siblings. And as you get into the level, you realize it's kind of a riff off Hansel and Gretel because they're like um, a brother and sister and you're rolling up candy in this world and there's like a witch flying around as well and when you get big enough you can roll her up too but the objective of the level is um, the siblings are like we want you to roll a katamari big enough that you can roll us up and like you can roll people up in the game but there's never like explicitly they're like you know outing they've got some kind of kink like oh roll us up please and I'm like Okay. <laughs> so the level only ends when you've got them big enough that you can roll both of them up. 
Wow. I'm <laughs> so happy for you. <laughs> Thank you for, you know, doing them justice and giving them what they needed. Yeah. I, yeah. The, the wackiness of this is like, it just so reminds me of a certain era. I know we talked about, you know, previous games that reminded us of eras of game. This so reminds me of that like PS2 wacky era as well. Right. Where I'm also thinking about games like conceptually Katamari is in the same bucket as like Parappa the Rappa and like Patapon and like these kinds of more independent experiences where, that are just such high concepts just fun gameplay where uh, it just reminds you of a certain time. So I, uh, it's almost as like Katamari is like so much of a legacy game in my mind where I respect it so much, but I've never played it. But I'm so glad to hear that uh, it seems like it is the, the it still works in a modern context, you know, so that these uh, remasters and these uh, is just justified. Yeah, I mean, I will say the remaster is uh, loyal almost to a fault to the original in that I didn't really feel there was anything new. I think the royal reverie part of the title just means that um, your character, because you get you get the prince and then you can also get his like cousins, which you can use to, as in they're basically just skins of the character that that's pushing the ball. I think royal reverie means that like you can unlock the one where you play your father when he was a boy. So just like mini mini king of all cosmos. But aside from that, I don't think there's too much different. So if you're kind of coming back into it as a as a previous Katamari player, um, you might be disappointed that there aren't, that isn't anything new or you might be like, oh great, I can now play Katamari again, but this time on like my new PC or my new Switch or something like that. But definitely again, as we talked about before with like the Ace Attorney games, like remasters are not just for the nostalgia, not just for people like you and me who have that relationship. It's for the new generation, for the kids the kids of today to experience uh, an IP that's just been enduring, um, which is fantastic. Uh, it's so good to hear you talk about like, yeah, you can kind of like sense the excitement, right? For games <laughs> that are being revisited this way. And I'm so happy. But you're, you're seriously that I'm happy for you. It's so <laughs> similar to Ace Attorney. It's like, I'm so happy for I'm you so all. happy for you. The you, emphasis yeah. on you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll obviously like go through some footage and some B-roll for this, obviously. Right. But I mean, um, yeah, it just seems like it's good to have at least remasters of games that are so beloved as well, because there are some properties where I feel like they're locked to a certain generation or a certain graphical uh, limits. So I love it when these, uh, it's not even obscure. This isn't an obscure, obscure title, but uh, I love it. The concept of having these like remasters um, go out to the public as well. And where even if it doesn't make like the biggest uh, statement in the world, it's like, it's still for the fans or some newer people who might jump into the title uh, or the series rather um, yeah. with these releases. Absolutely. And I guess speaking of, I don't know, enduring games or, or IP that have, test, that have lasted the test of time, you've you've been posting about a, a certain card game in the last oh, let me tell 24, you, 48 man. hours. Yeah, let me tell you. I mean, uh, I'm a big, for those that don't know, we brought it up on the show before, but I'm a big Magic the Gathering person. I used to play a lot of Magic the Gathering growing up. And again, you know, just entertaining the non-games aspect of games. Uh, TCG has always been a special place in my heart. I grew up playing Pokemon and all that kind of stuff. But Magic just dropped one of the coolest collaborations in the history of Magic, where they integrated the Lord of the Rings into the latest set of Magic products. And you can kind of see that in the background here. It's my, I bought a set booster box yesterday and it's, I'm opening packs. But for those that don't know, Magic the Gathering is its own game within itself, has its own lore, has its own universe. But um, you know, since the act was, they got acquired by Hasbro, they've been able to integrate um, more properties like Transformers in some of their cards. It's never a big part because it's still Magic. But this is probably their biggest collaboration whereby they fully integrated a whole set solely dedicated to Lord of the Rings. So every card that you're opening is Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's not even inspired. It's literally Lord of the Rings type cards and mechanics are very similar to Lord of the Rings. So I'm just blown away. I needed to talk about this because 
there's these special cards. Like, just talk about the collectors in us, right? There's these special showcase cards that are uh, aesthetically different than a lot of other magic cards. And I'll pull some of them up on the screen. But for those that might be watching just like my feed right now, it's like similar things like this, where you have Gollum just beautifully uh, illustrated on a Magic the Gathering card like that. And to me, Reno, it's just I've never seen artists and artistic vision uh, like articulated this way in a collaboration so well before. Uh, so it just gets me going. But did you know that there is a card out there that is a one-of-one one serialized card that currently has a bounty for over $1 million uh, in this set? Which card is that? It is nothing. It is obviously it's the One Ring. It is called the One Ring. They literally made they because you know card games are very gotcha esque. We've talked about that before, right? But it is literally a one of one card set where you can only get in a collector's booster box. There's only one made in the entire world, so that's why a lot of people are um, running to stores to pick up this product because if you pull that one card, it is one of one. And there are bounties out there. I don't remember if Post Malone has a bounty on there, but a couple of TCG stores, a couple of major magic personalities have also put a bounty on it where it's like, hey, if you pull that one of one card, we'll give you a million dollars, you know, and like a bunch of other perks. So I know a lot of people are rushing to stores to get it, but what a crazy concept where so, the one ring in Lord <laughs> of the Rings is literally people are like just running, burning uh, houses to the ground <laughs> to, to like find this product. literally like the golden ticket in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Literally. Like <laughs> Like literally, you know what I mean? Like it's it's quite insane. I um, am not super familiar with Magic the Gathering, although I've got lots of friends like you who have been playing it. So I, I see it pop up a lot on my timeline and things like that. I do like how, I guess, like expertly, they've sort of weaved in all these different types of IPs into into their game. Like I know there was the, you mentioned the Transformers one. There's another one. I don't think it's a specific IP, but there was like this sort of like cyberpunk collection as well. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, they did. Really uh, big. They did Kamigawa a couple of sets ago, mm -hmm. which was like this Japanese cyberpunk-esque uh, collab. Which is really and then cool. I think what I really liked, the last one I saw was um, probably quite a while back now, the Amano collection. You know, yes. So the, art, the artist who does a lot of the Final Fantasy artwork, right? He had his own so couple of cards. That's really, really cool that they could incorporate all of this. And it just kind of fits really well. And I don't want to be like, like no shade to... Fortnite, but like when Fortnite does collabs, I'm it's always just like so left of field, but that's just their brand, right? But with Magic the Gathering, every um collab I've seen with a different IP, it's like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Or like that kind of works. So Yeah, they, they I mean on your them. note of authentic authentic collaborations, right? Yeah, the Amano cards are really cool. They collaborate with a couple artists. There's a um a set that I got from Arcane. So they have oh. cards directly collaborated with the Arcane team and their existing magic cards. It's just the art is from the Arcane moments. And the magical thing about, uh, pun intended, the magical thing about Magic the Gathering is that even the flavor text on the cards uh, indicate story moments from these properties or even the mechanics of a certain set takes inspiration from these collaborations. So the last thing I'll say about this is that on this Lord of the Rings set, there's this concept um, of the one ring tempting you and it's a whole game mechanic where... In the only in the cards in the Lord of the Rings set, what does this mechanic pop up where the one ring tempts you and then you have to give that one ring to one of your creatures and it has both buffs and debuffs on it? So it's just like, again, it's not for a cash grab, it's not just for you know plastering a skin on something. There's something a lot deeper to these collaborations, but yeah, talk about game collaborations. I mean, uh, they had the Metal Gear artists do some art as well, they had a Castlevania artist do some art. I have all those cards in my collection too. So just to celebrate, as we're talking about indie games on this episode, as we're talking about celebrating video games during the summer period, there's no better time to potentially explore other 
entertainment avenues if you're listening to the podcast like tcg where this magic gathering set is something that is so amazing and mind-blowing to me that i thought you, you would appreciate in concept mm -hmm. so i had to bring it up but man like uh there's nothing like gotcha you know literally like this game mechanics like gotcha like integration of properties yeah. back of things like uh, man just games video games board games card games they're all just so flipping yeah. fun it's awesome i i'm happy for you i am very happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> we just flipped roles it's like not for me but i'm so excited for you yeah <laughs> Well, that was a super packed episode. Um, we covered so many games. I think probably the most number of games that we've ever done in, in 20M history. We covered um, Katamari, covered Lord of the Rings, Magic the Gathering. Really, really good episode. Um, Thank you for your time, Arif. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thank you, Reno. This is such a weird... I know we're both super tired, but man, to experience the showcases, live streaming. I mean, for those that are listening, the fact that you can go watch our VODs of our live stream, it's some of the first uh, couple live, like official live streams that we've done on the 20M podcast. So go check those out on YouTube if you want to relive some of those moments with us. I know we didn't even talk about the Star Wars game. We didn't even talk about some of the other indies that we saw throughout the showcases and stuff like that. Um, yeah, just cool to make that kind of content. And I hope everybody else is also enjoying the summer period right now absolutely and if you like this episode make sure to check out the one just passed which was our diablo episode where we riff on this most um enduring franchise alongside one of our friends his name is gerald chan a co-founder of the amazing geek culture based out in singapore he really schools us educates us on what it means to play diablo as someone like myself who's never played diablo and arif who is going through his baby's first diablo moment right now so that was a really really great episode we also talk about hello good boy in there one of of um, your favorite uh, indie games to come out this year so far. It was a great episode. And then, of course, of course, not forgetting, we did uh, a bit of an Oshinoko sort of discussion. That was my favorite part, personally. <laughs> Yeah, more anime. And I think like just for the viewers that are listening, I'm so glad that we can talk about some of these other nerd culture stuff towards maybe the end of our episodes where still a games podcast. We're still going to bring on some guests from the video games industry. Um, but we're all nerds here, right? So let's talk about some of the stuff that really get us going outside of games. So just happy to share, share the space with you all that are listening to the 20M podcast. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and I guess right now, maybe on Spotify uh, at 20M Podcast. We'll see you all on the next episode. Take care, guys. Bye. Say bye, Arif. Oh, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs>